Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Wicked and Whimsical Adventure is coming today on the show. Hello and welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy. I am your host, Justin. And I'm your co-host, Ian. Brandon is having child problems, so he'll be here momentarily. Hopefully. (laughs) Today we are going to be talking about Wild Beyond the Witchlight. I am super excited for this. Um, There's just a lot to talk about, so let's give you the overview before we get into the crunch, shall we? Yep. Once every eight years, a fantastical witch-like carnival touches down on your world. I love that. Yep. Uh, bringing joy to one settlement after the next. Its owners, Mr. Witch and Mr. Light, know how to put on a good show. But there's more to this magical extravaganza than meets the eye. They're almost like Transformers in that way, I guess. Yep. Well, indeed there is. This carnival is a gateway to a fantastic wild domain unlike any found in the material plane. Time, however, has not been kind to this realm. And dark days lie ahead. Unless someone can thwart the deathly schemes of the Hourglass Coven. If you don't know, the Wild Beyond the Witchlight takes adventurers from the Witchlight Carnival to Prismere, a Feywild domain of delight, and is designed for characters levels 1 through 8. This book comes with a poster map that shows the carnival on one side and Prismere on the other side, and it's huge and awesome! Yeah, it's a very nice map, actually. Actually, the artwork in this book in general is kind of awesome. Yes, I love the style. <laughs> yep. And the adventure begins in a campaign world of the DM's choice, which I think is a very nice touch. The Witchlight Carnival serves as a means by which characters can enter the Feywild and can easily be dropped into just by campaigns, I think, afterwards. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite things is it does add new character backgrounds. My personal favorite is the Fey Lost for characters who grew up in the Feywild, which I think is nice. Mm-hmm. And the Witchlight Hand for characters who work at the Witchlight Carnival, which is pretty dope. And for and as somebody who has read some mythologies that involve like the Fey, I thought those actually were decent backgrounds. Hell yeah, they were. <laughs> and on top of all that, they, this book introduces two races. One is the Fairy, and the other is a Haragod, which is basically humanoid rabbits. When I first read that name, I was like, what the hell is a heron god? Like, is I thought, like, a heron, <laughs> like a bird. Which is fair. <laughs> <laughs> and then I found it's a rabbit. I was like, oh, hare. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> All the encounters in the adventure include a non-combat option. Actually, combat is secondary, which I think is something that Wizards of the Coast has never really done before. So that was really exciting. And, so- and a couple other adventures from... There were published by Wizards of the Coast. That sometimes is not like barred right. over. <laughs> <laughs> like a herring on. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So I think it's laid out uh, really, really well. Um, and I think that the direction they took this makes it so you don't actually have to read the entire book ahead of time. Which I highly appreciate as a DM, because let's be real here. I know that they try to focus on the other books for you to read it from currently cover first before you run mm-hmm. it, which I can kind of understand. Right. But at the same time, I only have so much time. <laughs> and, and that's and that's part of it. And by the time I read those books, I don't remember half the shit anyway. And that's why I think the way they did this layout is pretty great. Like, well, I know I used this example before, but I, for the past year, and finally concluded a couple weeks back, ran Princess of the Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. That's and a disaster. Yeah, and I love the concept behind it, but the layout for it is terrible. Right. Like, like for example, when you go through like through like the first set of elemental temples, like there's a prophet at the end of each one, mm-hmm. which is which basically says as a boss for that element. And I ran the first three temples, and the players are going through the through the fire one, 
I'm like, okay, I guess since we're, they're now at the back end of this chapter, I better read ahead to the next one. And this was after the players, of course, went to the three, three, first three temples, mm-hmm. killed the first three prophets. And the very, and practically on the, on the first page of the next chapter, when you defeat the first prophet, the other three <laughs> do this. <laughs> I remember that. It's like, uh, that would have been great to know at the beginning of the last chapter. So the way <laughs> they handle that in this book is in the very back, they have this really awesome story tracker. Um, now, it's cool. It's First of all, that already sounds cool. Yep. It basically gives you uh, character names, who, uh, you know, uh, and other details, I want to get into them more, and effects that have happened as you, as you travel through in the campaign. What's really cool, and this is why I think it works so well, is that during the adventure, it notes you want to count this on your story tracker because it's important. It's going to come up again. Make a note of this. <laughs> and that, to me, the book saying make a note of that is single-handedly one of the best design decisions that they could have made, in my opinion. Right. And something else I think is worth note, too, in a similar vein, and I'll admit, I had mixed feelings on, on this one. Not all of the creatures, if you will, are in the back of the book where all the creatures are, mm-hmm. but they do drop them off where you'll encounter them. So, on one hand, as a DM, that would be kind of nice, like, oh, here's a stat block right here, where I need it. But on the other hand, I can see how, it's like, I kind of wish all the monsters were... were we're in one spot. Maybe they could have like done both. I don't know. But yeah, and I think that that where is this? Uh, there it is. I want to show this. Yeah, this is what the story tracker looks like, which I think is pretty cool. Yep. Um, but it's uh, honestly, in my opinion, it's one of the best additions to the book. Um, to any book, I think if Wizards of the Coast doesn't include this moving forward on all their campaigns, hey Brandon, yep. um, I'm gonna honestly be disappointed because, in my opinion, that's one of the best story structures for dungeon masters. That they came up with moving for uh, moving in this the story. And it's uh, also worth noting too that they have uh, cards in the back too for yes! NPCs, what, which are not just stat blocks, but it's a good shorthand way to show here's how you roleplay this character. And something I would imagine maybe these characters might show up more than once in the book. This might be a good spot to flip to. So that. <laughs> I think it's awesome, and you can you can scan these and print them out or whatever. Yep. And one of the problems that I have as a dungeon master personally is I struggle to remember to the accent or the personality traits of some of the NPCs. So not only does this work amazingly for this game, but you can take these and probably plop them into any of your games if you want. Though some of them are a little more whimsical than normal. Hi, yep. Brandon. What like, are we talking about? Like uh, one example for <laughs> is one of the. Uh, Proveyors of the carnival, if you will, Mr. Light. What the fuck is that? Exactly. Um, <laughs> no, the Jabberwock. <laughs> Mr. Light is the face of the Bushwick Carnival. He is a loud, flamboyant ringleader who will do anything to maintain the carnival's happy atmosphere. Which sounds, I want to hand like a hard worker, but in the hand, something dark behind the scenes. Mr. Light wears a Harlequin suit and a jaunty hat. When he presides over the carnival's big top, he sparkles like a disco ball. Alignment. <laughs> Alignment. Chaotic. Good. Personality trait. There's always something for me to smile about. Ideal. Delight. I want everyone to feel the wonder that I feel each day in this place. Bond. Mr. Witch is my greatest friend and most trusted confidant. Flaw. I was the crueler of the two of us long ago. Though perhaps that string of balance hasn't quite left me yet. And I like the fact that this, of course, has implications of... Somebody who who's, who comes off as happy, but there's something darker underneath the surface. Yes. <laughs> is, this, is this him right here? This is Mr. Light. He was yep. Mr. Witt. Was, yeah, Mr. Light's the one you read, right? Yeah. Here's what he looks like. He looks like Kefka's gay cousin. <laughs> so, Kefka? Kefka. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, so uh, right out the gate, what makes this uh, adventure, like, obviously it's very whimsical. Even if you don't run the adventure... The games are worth adding to your collection. Yeah. There are dozens of games in here that you can add to your stories and campaigns and run them pretty much as is. Maybe just reflavor one or two things so it's a little less mm, magical. But um, the way they, they wrote the games out, I think, are they're, they're, in, they're small encounters. Yep. Which is, is done mm, magnificent. And I do think they do a good job of capturing the Feywild, if you will, and the free yes. creatures. And like I said earlier, if you are familiar with, like, the Fae, if you will, from various mythologies, I kind of appreciate that aspect of it. And as I said before, too, the artwork is great. Yeah, so Brandon was actually just uh, men- uh, commenting on the fact that, like, they got these carriages, um, and they're being drawn by horses with fairy wings. And it looks <coughs> very Fae. Um, and it just screams yeah. Fae. There's petals and stuff 
floating off of them. And that's the stuff that's just constantly going on. The art I've seen is very vibrant. It's, yes. it's far distant from traditional what we usually see. Watsy artwork. It's like, very colorful. <laughs> so, uh, so there's another thing that this book does that I think is amazing, and it ties into the character hooks for the game. So... The core is uh, beginning the adventure. They give you a more traditional adventure style, but the big one is something lost. This is so awesome. And it says, uh, uh, use this adventure hook if you want your characters to have a strong personal investment in the story. Um, in this case, they lose something. Yep. But what that thing they lose, what would you expect to lose? Gold, possessions, sanity. How about your smile? That's sad. Your ability, yeah, right? Your ability to keep <laughs> secrets. Um, oh. Your handwriting, your sense of fashion. There's literally an art piece in here with a terribly, terribly cobbled together character, like something out of an MMO in the middle of leveling up. Yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I don't mention the artwork here too, but I would say this is probably art-wise the most colorful book, yeah. if you will, that they released. Like. Yep. It's like they took the usual D&D artwork, but then so, put a rainbow over it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and actually, one of my favorite pieces of art in here is a oh, spider reading a book to various fake creatures. Spin, uh, what is it? Web Spinner, his name? Or Spinner or something? I Can I just say I was annoyed that his stat block isn't in there? Yeah. Uh, it's in an expansion. Ah. Anyways. Um, so I want to continue on talking about the lost things. So the story behind the lost things is that the characters actually ended up... Um, ended up somehow stumbling into the 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 carnival when it was last here or when they were younger and there's witches hag the hag coven that's wandering around that then steals something from the people that enter without a without a ticket and so they take that thing from you so let's say you lose the ability to smile it gets turned into a magic item so in this case the one that says that you lose the ability to smile uh, the character suffering from a loss of unable to smile. The hag who claimed the prize has since used their smile to create the wand of smiles, which is a magic item in the back of the book. Yep. Um, that is just, I mean, and that to me already screams magic and fey and whimsy and hilarity. Don't smile. You lost that. No. That just makes me think of all the horrible things that can come from it. Yeah, I mean, this is a small table, but you can make it as big as you want. <laughs> when you think about smiling, you're like, oh, <laughs> that's funny, or all that stuff. But what if someone came up to you and said, hey, we're finally having a baby, isn't that great? And then you just, that's fantastic. They don't <laughs> assume that you're being sarcastic, like, well, fuck you, I'm leaving. <laughs> I also think it's worth noting, too, that they actually have a pronunciation guide for yep. all the NPC names. Which is necessary, because some of them are really <laughs> weird. Um, but anyways um so continuing on with the lost thing the whole point of the the carnival once you arrive is you know to um have fun but if you've lost something your goal there then is to try to reclaim what you've lost which spins you in this web leaning between the different uh areas of uh prism is what it's called i think which has three main areas um which i think is just great um, Ian, was there anything, uh, uh, I, I know you looked at some of the crunches. What did you think of the new character races? Um, yeah, the, as we said before, the two in here are the Herringon and the Fairy. And first and foremost, they do take the approach that was presented in Tasha's where, like, mm -hmm. okay, here's your, add plus two to any two sets you want, choose which, uh, skills you want. But the Fairy is, in a nutshell, your Fae. You're a small-sized creature, so usually that means you mean about, like, what, three feet tall, give or take? Yep. And your walking speed is 30 feet, but you also have a flight equal to your walk speed. And get, they also get, get some spells that, that level up. Like, they at, they start off knowing Druidcraft, for example. Right out, out, Druidcraft's out, awesome. Yeah, right out, out the gate. Level three, they learn Fairy Fire, which makes sense, they're fairies. <laughs> And at fifth level, they can also cast Reduce Enlarge. And you can choose whether Wisdom, Charisma, or Intelligence is your spellcasting ability with the trait. So I, I, I really like that. First of all, if you listen to <laughs> any of our previous episodes, I did use that to make a uh, awesome uh, character uh, player op, uh, player uh, tip about using being a fairy and hiding in, inside <laughs> of a conjured lockbox and casting spells from it. It's also worth noting, too, with the flight, you cannot use your flying speed if you're wearing medium or heavy armor. Yep. So that's very similar to the uh, Eric Cocker, I believe, yep. if I'm not mistaken. Um, so 
But once I read it, step block. So. so the fairy's pretty cool. The 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 har the, the haragon. Honestly, I hate the name. I hate it, but that's a personal uh, the, me. The hair yep. gun. Yep. Hair and gun because it's a hair. Yep. <laughs> it could be a bunny. Now, I well, I make my orange. Now, what I find interesting about the herring gun is you can choose whether you're a small or a medium creature, which I don't think you really see that too much with races in general. Right. And their speed is 30 feet. They're they look adorable. <laughs> Another racial tree is hair trigger, <laughs> which you add your proficiency bonus to your initiative rolls, which I think is a nice Ooh, touch. Nice. <laughs> hair trigger. They, they have proficiency with perception. And they can also, when you th- they have a deck saving throw, they can add a d4 to the roll to, see, to bump up the, the results. And they can also uh, jump up to five times their proficiency bonus without triggering opportunity attacks. That's cool. They can only do that the amount of time per day for their proficiency bonus, but st- still can get you up in a sticky situation. Hmm? Yeah. Um, Garwin actually says, it still bothers me that Watsi forced every fairy character to try and figure out how they were cursed into being medium category while every other fairy in the <laughs> world is average of six inches tall. Um, that is definitely interesting, and I did not know that that was a thing. <laughs> um, Brandon, so what are your thoughts so far, just kind of looking at this? I know you haven't got much time to go through it as much as us, but... Uh, I've always been interested in the fairy, but that's just because the whole pun of the vampire skeeter but the herring gun the skeeter on my beater wagon off <laughs> for fuck's sake <laughs> the herring gun uh, one I did notice was the uh, lucky footwork mm-hmm. uh, there's no limit to how much you can do that unless you're prone or speed is zero yeah which it says anytime you fail you just roll that d4 yep which is nice. Yeah, the lucky footwork. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, that so that's kind of the new stuff they added. I like the the backgrounds. They tie them in with instruments and performance and stuff like that. Um, let's take a look at an example of one of the uh, of one of the games that's in it. Does somebody want to scroll to oh, an area with game? Uh, one of my personal favorites is uh, also the map for the carnival is the maps in this thing are beautiful. They're, as everyone said, they follow the very bright colors. It's early on, so it's probably it's right here somewhere. Um, but they got a uh, yeah. So there's one. Um, you can pick a variety of these. They even have a traditional carousel. Um, and uh, the the there's a situation that can happen where the carousel horses are actually alive. <laughs> At least one of them is. But in the game, can I take this for a sec? So in the carousel, for instance, um, it comes with a riddle before you can ride it, and if you get the riddle right, you can ride it for free without paying for a ticket. Um, which is another thing. You have to have tickets for everything. How how realistic is that? Um, so it comes up with its own little riddle that's fill in the blank type of thing, which is a lot of fun. Was there any of these you managed to snag that sounded interesting to you? I thought the snail racing was kind of interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. You want to talk about it a little bit? The grandstand next to this race course are filled with cheering, fairgoers ringing bells, swinging rattles, and waving flags. On the starting line, eight giant Snails are having their shells scrubbed by pixies. Above the circular course, a wooden gantry hangs from the branches of a central tree, where two goblins officiate the proceedings. And they make it very clear that it's a very competitive event. It costs a ticket to enter. And it also even says, says, make note of some things on the story tracker. Which, once again, is something that I love, because it's telling you this is going to be important. Also... Uh, are the tickets way overpriced? <laughs> I get a real fair? I don't remember. Yep. And oh, skipping funny. ahead a little bit to the rules, each snail needs a jockey, and any cells filled by characters are filled by other attendees using the commoner step block. And all snails and the riders begin at the start line, which makes sense. And jot down the giant snails, numbers, riders, and so forth, and the course is 480 feet long. A ticket is eight silver pieces for an adult, or three silver pieces for a child. That's a lot. Or you can make some bargains. If you can't yes, that's one. the other thing. You can bargain your way in, which is really cool. Um, eight silver. Don't they make? Doesn't like a farmer make like a gold in a month or something? Something like that. Like that's that's a lot. <laughs> All right. Ten silver is a gold, right? And so going a room in two silver. Start your adventure today. Experience tabletop RPGs run by professional game masters. Startplaying.games is the largest online platform for players to find tabletop role-playing and professional GMs for any game system and any virtual tabletop. 
Are you looking to play D&D Online or find a virtual Pathfinder 2E group? Start Playing is part tabletop group finder and part games finder. Their professional game masters are running games all over the world. We've both had some fantastic experiences with the user-friendly and intuitive platform. In addition, the community and support are grade A. If you're a greenhorn or a veteran, role player, or a power gamer, you can easily find a game that works for you and your schedule. Visit startplaying.games today and join some new friends in your favorite tabletop RPG game, or even give a new one a try. And going more into the rules, the race is divided into six second rounds, go figure. Once the race begins, the snail moves along the track at a remarkable speed, each one covering 80 feet per round by itself. Without the riders, the snails are an even match, but a jockey <laughs> can try to improve a snail's performance by patting its shell or speaking words of encouragement to it. <laughs> it words of encouragement! Initiative rolls don't matter. Once per round, each jockey can make a DC-12 wisdom... Animal handling check. On success, the snail moves an extra 10 feet, or 20 if it succeeds by 5 or more. On the fail save, the snail moves 10 feet slower, or 20 feet slower if it fails by more than 5. Don't suck. <laughs> yeah, and, and that can be, that's really cool, because now you have rate, you have a mechanic and outline for running races in your own game. Mm -hmm. um, you can easily change this from snails to horses to... Uh, bully wogs to anything anything like that, which is a lot of fun. And it does also stipulate that any jockey who openly uses magic and is caught is automatically disqualified. Yes. Note how it says openly and caught. <laughs> so <laughs> Openly uh, caught. <laughs> so, all you sorcerers with a subtle spell. Yep. Or an arcane trickster with an invisible mage hand. Yep. Just picks up and... <laughs> there, and so, um, so... Or unseen servant. The games aside... <laughs> This has got very much a Wizard of the Odds feel, uh, Oz feel in some situations. Um, the story is actually very open to what the players want to do because each area has like a really big map, um, and they come up with some pretty good, uh, some pretty good hooks for each area. It's mostly people wanting you to do something for them, which is pretty good. But in the end, one of the biggest challenges is the Jabberwock, which I loved. Yep. Um, there's even a great sword called the Snickersnack, I think, which <laughs> is totally an awesome callback um, to Alice in Wonderland. Definitely a, uh, it's basically a vorpal sword with extra steps. <laughs> yeah. So overall, this is, I think this is a book that everyone should pick up. Um, not If you're not going to run the, the full campaign, hey, that's fine. Um, but there are lots of great encounters in here. The, it allows you to experience things that you don't generally run into, and it gives a DM a reason to toss in anything they want. And I do, as we're talking about, think the match items are very interesting. I mean, there's a few mundane stuff in here, like the Dread Helm, for example, that just uh, basically makes your eyes glow and hide your face in smoke when you wear it, which is actually kind of awesome. I mean, it doesn't actually really do anything, but the visual effect... <laughs> that is, sounds cool. Right. Whereas you have one that's relatively simple called Steel... Mm -hmm. which is a longsword that's very rare and requires to be attunement from a good line creature. And it's a uh, plus two weapon, but it can also cast Re Revivify. <laughs> Damn, that's nice. I like your expression. Uh, <laughs> so the one thing I really want to talk about is the way some of the quests work. Um, for instance, there's a, uh, my, one of my favorites uh, in here was a little segment of uh, the Korads. The Korads are at uh, these like little goblin uh, troll-like doll things. Uh, I don't know if you can see that on camera. Yep. Um, these little bastards, they're really tiny, but they look fun as hell. And they're at war with these other uh, critters. Um, the bra the the Brigganocks, the Brigganocks, which are like little tiny gnome-type guys. And if you if you deal with the, the them together and you figure out that they're fighting the same fight but don't know it, and get them to ally, they become allies, and the little Bregonauts are tiny, so they ride in the beards of the other critters. And I just, like, little things like that are just hilarious, and they're so much fun. <laughs> yep. Although there's not much to it, I am kind of amused by the Woodcutter's Axe, which is a great axe, rare. It's a plus one bonus to attack and damage, but when you use it against a creature with a plant, plant type or with an object, it, it deals an extra 2d6 slashing damage to it. That's cool. 
See, I, that's why I love things like this, because yeah. they, they do a really good job with the fun magic items. Overall, there's a whole big story arc. I don't want to go into it too detail. Right. Uh, a, a patron has been locked and imprisoned, and some <laughs> hags have kind of taken control and are manipulating people. So there's a lot of um, political intrigue in this, Yep. which is something that I... That's probably why I loved it so much. Because um, even though it's not the traditional political intrigue, there's lots of factions like the Hags Coven. I forget what is it. Do you remember what they're called? The Hourglass. <laughs> the Hourglass Coven. Yep. Um, and they have their own thieves group, and there's multiple. There's dozens of factions in here that are fleshed out really, really well. And the way they run the 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 whole thing is just done so well. Like I said, not having to read everything in advance, yeah, is I, a huge bonus. And I really wish Watson <laughs> took that approach sooner <laughs> yes let's hope they continue this moving forward um but in order to do that they have to get a lot yep. of positive feedback so yep. if you do pick it up consider using the uh link in the comments we do get a small kickback as it is affiliate link but more than that let them yep. know if you like it and tell them how much you like it because i really think this is what we need and it's worth reiterating that once again this is not meant to be a high level adventure right and on average the M the npcs and creatures in this book that are in here are cr3 4 give or take i mean like a handful that are higher than that, but not by much. And even then, those that are in the double digits, I feel like I can count on one hand, really. Right, right. And as we once again said, this adventure encourages role-playing much more strongly than previous adventures have been, which, once again, that the, what, how much a table appreciates that depends on the table. And I'll admit, I am the beard, the axe, and the enemy kind of player myself, but hey. <laughs> I ran an adventure yesterday you would have loved because of the posters. Oh, it's huge, too. It's so beautiful. Yep. Um, but overall, it's it's really wonderful. I like it. I hope they continue this moving forward uh, with this layout. Um, they have lots of uh, good things that came out of this that I think is needs to be carried over into moving. Uh, the NPC cards, the story tracker, um, those two alone were worth it, and I don't necessarily know it's because of the story tracker, but be, the little segments that tell the DM, this is important, and <laughs> write it down. Yep. Even if you don't put a story tracker in the back of every book, those little notes are huge, mm -hmm. because there's a lot of information to absorb, and sometimes it can be difficult to know what's important and what's not. Fuck that. <clears throat> so, um, what's your notes say, DM? Um, last week, <laughs> potion, leather belt. Goblin that dances. Uh, I get that. <laughs> <laughs> Damage treasure chest. Anyways, um, so uh, is there anything else we want to talk about before we move on? And my complaint, there's no bow magic item. <laughs> <laughs> That's something I always look for in, in right, every right. adventure because there's not much magic bows get, uh, in the first place. A, to take a moment to give a huge shout out to our sponsor, Manscaped. Ho, 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 gentlemen, the holidays came early here at Crit Academy, thanks to our generous sponsors at Manscaped, who is the best in the men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. Join over 4 million worldwide who trust in Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you, 20% off and free worldwide shipping with code CRIT at Manscaped.com. Jingle balls to the walls, fellas. Listen up! Manscaped has provided us with the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 so we could share with you how awesome it is. <laughs> Inside the Performance Package 4.0, you'll find the signature Lawn Mower 4.0. This electric trimmer has proprietary advanced skin-safe technology to reduce cuts on your nuts. I'm pretty sure we all will kind of appreciate that quite a bit. And uh -huh. it's also waterproof, so you can use it in the shower. The Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Crop Preserver and the Crop Reviver, which feel great, by the way. An anti-chafing ball deodorant, moisturizer, and toner to keep your North Pole feeling and smelling fresh. The ladies will love it, or your spouse will love it, or your partner. This hygiene bundle will also come with a pair of Manscaped anti-chafing boxers, which are so comfortable that they'll keep your junk feeling fresh all day. The perfect package to protect your perfect package. Tis the season to load up on Manscaped products. So get yourself, your dad, that'd be kind of weird, your brother, and friends <laughs> the gifts of smooth dice this holiday season. The Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. You, uh, so we've all had our, our experiences with these. Brandon's got an amazing uh, uh, 
unboxing that's going to drop at some point. You're going to love it. But uh, so I always <laughs> struggle with the different. I don't like to lose my dice, so to speak. So I've experienced, you know, with all the different tools. And when I picked up the the lawnmower, I was literally blown away. <laughs> okay, probably poor choice of words. Yeah, thank you. Um, but I was really surprised at how clean and cut, uh, nice and cut it was. Um, I was super impressed with the fact that I didn't nick myself at all, which is very um, all too common. Yep. Um, I end up bloodied. <laughs> well... I'll admit, as a single guy, this is a topic that I really thought about in a while, and uh, and I'll admit, I don't like the idea of like uh, putting a uh, razor blade anywhere near my uh, family jewels. Yeah, I want to keep those dice nice and clean. Right, but a pair of clippers, which is c- kind of what this is, is definitely a huge step up in that regard, and you want to sweat as much, uh, if you will. Yeah, so anyways... Roll a nat 20 this holiday giving uh, gift-giving season and get 20% off and free shipping with code CRIT at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with your free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code CRIT. Clean up your dice and satchel and make Santa proud this year. And have yourself a smooth bag of holding. And now, what you've all been waiting for. Our Unearth Tips and Tricks segment where we bring you new and reusable material for both players and DMs. Our character cast up today is Narl Silvertusk. He is a male half-orc. He dresses quite well for an orc, actually, wearing (laughs) white silk shifts underneath a dark brown vest with loose-fitting quality trousers. Mm, Sexy. He carries an old better bone of a giant beast as a cudgel. He has thick brown hair slicked back over his head and a grin broke by large tusks. One tusk appears to have been broken and has since been replaced by another one made of silver. Despite his rough upbringing and his clan, war and the way of Groomsh wasn't for him. He is an art collector at heart. He has a bit of guttural voice that can seem grumpy but he is generally likable. Polite and quick to give a compliment, especially if it means he might get to see a beautiful work of art and discuss his thoughts on it. Look at the brush strokes! Look at it! It's beautiful! <laughs> Do you com- close compliment each other? <laughs> Narl grew up in a traditional orc clan, but his mixed blood often made him an outcast. His elven half showed clearly in his superior intellect. Oh, <laughs> he had little or he had little or no interest in the more brutal ways of his kin. During his clan raids of towns and villages, he developed an appreciation for homemade objects. Handmade. What'd I say? Homemade. What the hell ever? Everything is homemade, I guess, back in, in a, in a <laughs> the fantasy setting. Lacking any artistic talent himself, he spent his spare time admiring the creations of others. Now he collects and trades art when he can. His love for art means he will travel the world until he can see and experience every piece of art. Along the way, hoping to discover a hidden talent for art that has remained elusive to him. Yes. Well, what do you guys think throw, about this? Throwing guy? in the the elf as the other half is that was a bit of a flag. Yep. Up. <laughs> well, and I know Garwin's watching, and I know he hates that I did that. <laughs> <laughs> he is cringing in his seat right now. God You're welcome, it. Garwin. That's for you. <laughs> um, I like this character concept. It was something that I did just to poke fun at Garwin, but. Uh, <laughs> It was a, a very fun... The idea of an orc that has a love for the finer things in life... <laughs> I love you too, Garwin. Um, just is a, a fun idea, and it's something so off the wall that I think if I play, as a player, if I ran into this, it would just be like, what the fuck? Dude, what's wrong with this orc? It's <laughs> uh, funny. Look at the chisel work on this marble statue. It's beautiful. See how he kept all the nice, bulging, rippling muscles of the male model. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> I love it. Look at the bicep. It's great. <laughs> you can tell here the artists really what they were feeling at that moment, you know? This is a real Ashnanov painting. I must have it. <laughs> Who is that? You don't know? <laughs> <laughs> Proceeds to go on a ten-hour rant about who it is. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> All right. Um, so this can work as an NPC or a PC. It's entirely up to you. Have fun. 
Uh, our uh, monster variant of the podcast is the Far Touched. As you imagine, this comes right from our Far Touched. It is the war. You're going to start with the origin, the warg, and it's going to lose the bite and the keen hearing and smell. It's going to gain some new features. Alien resilience that it can use once a day. Uh, if an attack would reduce the far touch hit points to zero, it collapses into a pool of alien goo, and its hit points are reduced to one instead. The far touch can use uh, can move at its normal speed in this form, including moving through spaces occupied by other creatures. As a bonus action on at the beginning of the far touch next turn, it can reform still with one hit point. It also now has amphibious, because it can breathe air and water, has swamp camouflage advantage on deck save in swampy areas, and we give it savage move. If the far touch surprises a creature, it gets a bonus action it can use on its first turn of combat for a claw attack, a bite a clack, or a bog spew attack. A clack. What? Clack clack. <laughs> it also gains multi-attack. Uh, the far touch gets two attacks of claw attacks. And also can bog spew with a recharge five or six, which lets it spew out a noxious stream of bog filth mixed with stomach acid up to 20 feet away. Uh, the target must succeed on a DC 11 con save or be blinded by the bog spew for 1d4 rounds. Oh man, I can't see this mm. thing that's vomit on me, but I can s- smell it. I did, because I'm, I'm not covering this crap. <laughs> it smells horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a fun one. Uh, this is right out of our uh, our adventure here. Um, and what makes this so cool is the fact that when it stops at one, it becomes a goo and can quickly run away and squeeze through small areas <laughs> to escape if it wants, which is interesting. Um, of course, blinding characters is fun and getting extra attacks uh, when it uh, surprises a creature is just a bonus action away. What do you guys think? I like the idea of the... Uh... The puddle being able to run off mm-hmm. or run away. Very defensive maneuver. So that it, I don't... it drops into someone's cellar mm-hmm. and the cellar's locked so it has time to reform. Yep. Get away, get come back and attack and get that surprise savage move again. Pull itself back together. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> this is a pretty straightforward monster, but uh, the idea that it can survive and the players might think it's dead. Because as a player, if you hit something and it drops into a puddle of goo, yeah. what are you going to think? It's oh, dead. We did it. Yeah, you'll move on to the next thing. <laughs> and then it's going to come back or run away, you know? So it's a lot of fun. Uh, this definitely is uh, a nasty bastard. So, All right, that'll do it for our monster variants. Brandon, would you like to tell us about our encounter of the podcast? The encounter comes from Far Touched. Hmm. There's a theme here. <laughs> yeah. I got yelled at about it earlier. <laughs> the small village of Redhold is under siege by monsters. Laura Lee Swift Thistle, a female halfling, a city watch captain. T.O.B. Don't know what that means. Tome of Beasts. Beast. Tome of Beasts. Tome of Beasts. Tome. A leader of the Heaven's Light Guild has put out an urgent call to any and all adventurers in a nearby region to come to the Red Hold outpost east of the village. There the characters meet with Laura Lee Swift Thistle. Mm. The local <laughs> guild leader looking to deal with a sudden infestation of horrifying and deformed creatures. The characters must hack, slash, and sneak their way through the waves of grotesque, far-touched creatures to reach the village. As they wade through the monstrosities and get closer to the village, they slowly feel the touch of the far realm and begin experiencing madness and mutations. <laughs> the characters arrive in the village, likely a little concerned with the mutations and hallucinations they are undoubtedly experiencing. They must search the town for survivors and learn the truth behind the transformation, a breach to the far realm. The characters must enter the breach and bargain with the breach's creator, an abolith named Pluklum. Yes. Aboliths are nasty. Yeah. And they can't die. <laughs> um, so yes, this, is, this concept is ripped right from our... Um, Extraordinary Expeditions Far Touch, which you can pick up the full adventure for free, or just run with this outline and run it however you want. It's free. Um, but it's free. You can go pick it up right now. And, so why not grab it? Yeah. And <laughs> if you like it, maybe pick up something else, I suppose. I'm just saying. Or pre-order the entire book. That would be great. So yeah. what exactly is an Abolus? Um, A giant worm with tentacle fish thing. They come from the plane of water. And they're immortal and have eidetic memories. And if you kill them, they just go back to the plane of water and reform. <laughs> So here's what an They don't looks go like. away. 
<laughs> and they also were in charge before gods were, so they're kind of uh, bitter about that. Yeah, that's nasty. But anyways, mm-hmm. um, it's a nasty monster that's meant to be too strong for the party to handle. Um, you use the far-touched monster to represent the villagers that have transformed into this alien yeah, thing. It looks like uh, one of Dr. Seuss's nightmares. <laughs> yeah, it's supposed to be. So it's a, it's a lot of fun. It's a great encounter, like I said. <laughs> you can... Uh, there's a link that was just dropped in the chat. You can pick it up there, um, pick up the whole adventure for free. If not, use this as a template and enjoy. Um, I loved this adventure. I wanted to make sure it was out there more than just our uh, our product. So, all right, that'll do it for our encounter of the podcast, the Far Touch. Our, today, our <laughs> magic item is the Wall of the Warder. It's a rare shield that requires attunement. This sick, slick. Silver round shield hums with abjuration power. At its center is a star constellation of a knight. While holding this shield, you have a plus one bonus to your AC and saving throws against spells and other magical effects. This bonus is in addition to the shield's normal AC. Uh, winning. When a creature. Did you say winning? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> When a creature within 30 feet of you is hit with an attack, you can use your reaction to transfer the warding power of the shield to that creature by throwing it to intercept the attack. The target gains a plus 3 bonus to their AC, and at the end of the turn, the shield returns to you. Is this Captain America's shield? Button defense. Defense only. Ah. So basically, you throw it to intercept an attack that's going to hit somebody, and then it comes back, but you don't use it as a weapon. (laughs) Um, That's neat. Yeah, I uh, I really had fun designing this one. Um, mm-hmm. I knew I didn't know I was gonna get that reaction of it's not just a plus two. <laughs> no, um, this is a, a really fun magic item for the person that <laughs> wants to play a more defensive character, um, where you're willing to sacrifice your own armor class to protect somebody else. Granted, it's only at the end of turn, so it doesn't uh, last very long. But you don't know, never know what'll happen in between there. Um, I did get a question on TikTok uh, the other day that said, why are all my magic items stop at very rare? Because if I build a legendary one, nobody will ever use it. <laughs> and that's that's the truth. Yeah. <laughs> what, was it, when, what game have you guys been in with a legendary uh, magic item? I've never seen a legendary magic item in D&D. I feel like I have, but I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> it's far more likely somebody will actually use the stuff I create if it's not a legendary item. And mm-hmm. Plus, it just takes too much yeah. work, and I'm lazy. So Is that anyway. just because it scares the DMs away? Yes. Um, in my opinion, yes. Okay, that, that does make sense. So do I want to get this to my But in very break few game? games get high enough to where they want to do that anyway. Yeah. Use anyway. anyway, so that's our magic item, the Wall of the Warder. Um, a defensive shield for some ass kickers. So... Our Dungeon Master tip of the podcast is prepare only what most benefits your game. This comes from one of my favorite books, The Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master. A simple statement, yet difficult to follow. We all know the maxims, keep it simple, or less is more. Regardless, many of us live lives that are far from simple. Figuring out what truly benefits your game takes considerable thought Every time you pull back the reins on your overactive imaginations, your mind will buck and kick and spit as it tries to push forward to fill in all the blanks, define every variable, and build out every detail before your game even starts. The success or failure of a game does not depend on the amount of time you spend preparing it. The story exists among the group of people at the table and is good or bad as what those people bring to it. I forget which guest it was, but I remember them saying, like, the only prep I really do is I write down the step blocks on the for monsters, same with spells, and then I'll write six bullet points that I want to cover on a note card, and that's it. <laughs> yep, you literally just described my, my DM style. That's too. what I do, that's what he taught me, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> pretty much. It's I mean, it's lazy. not hard to, but, to but, do. But that's something people do, is they over-prep, and don't no, get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with over-prepping, but in my personal experience, the more I prep, the more I shoehorn my players into that. Um, I went through all this trouble to design this thing, to do this thing. You're going to F and go do this thing. I found that when I let the reins go on that, it just seemed like it was much more fun for everybody. What are your experiences? Uh, the players write the story. Ooh, that's good. And true. It's, really, it's really them. 
uh, you can have your little bullet points and stuff. You say, hey, what do you guys want to do? If they say, I want to, we, we want to go over here and explore this area. Well, this bullet point is in that area. You can drop it wherever you need to. Mm-hmm. It's really Modular. Like I love that. <laughs> so, uh, very good DM tip. Make sure you uh, consider uh, um, this sort of thing. Try and Honestly, it allows you to focus on the other things that are more important. I've got 10 bullet points. How can I tie those bullet points to one of my characters? Yep. Oh, yeah. So, all right. That'll do it for our Dungeon Master tip. Prepare only what most benefits your game. Our player tip of the podcast is... Don't, don't be, be a, a dick. dick. And you can avoid dickitude by following this player tip. What the fuck? Smite me one more time. Everyone knows that the Paladin <laughs> Smite is one of the highest damage dealing features there is. While it is limited by spell slots, it's still extremely potent, allowing a burst of damage in a short amount of time. But I have noticed that some players still don't fully utilize one aspect of the feature. Specifically, the only limit is spell slots, which means you can use it more than one time in a round. Yes. So long as the attack and hit you attack and hit a target. So, while extra attack makes the most sense, it can also be used during opportunity attacks, something I see much less of. Now, triggering opportunity attacks can be a bit tricky. That is, unless we take a feature like Sentinel Feet, that allows us to use our reactions to make attacks against a creature that attacks allies within 5 feet of us. That means, at 5th level, with extra attack, we might be able to do three different smites in a single round. That's a lot. But tossing Polearm Master on top of it, if we do that now, we potentially have four attacks, which means four smites. Yeah. In a single round. Once again, assuming you have the spell slots available. Now, go forth and smite the hell out of that big bad enemy guy. Now, I wanted to toss the math in this. So... The math with a pole arm with the pole arm master, the sentinel feet, and a paladin. You do one d10 plus three plus two d8 plus one d10 plus three plus two d8 plus one d4 plus three plus two d8 plus one d10 plus three plus two d8 equal a minimum of 24 and a max of 110. You're, you're the, welcome. You're the reason why DMs have gray hair. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> No, don't get me wrong. This is a great tip, but I'm not, also not going to lie, too. I actually looked at this preview and went, heh rookie numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you can do better. Look at the paladin. Alone. I don't know. The whole, the whole point of this was to focus that I've never noticed that the paladin can smite on opportunity attacks yep. on other people's turns. Yep. Like, that blew my mind. But that's what happens when you yep. read through things closer. Because I built a character once I actually did the did a similar train of thought, but the route I went was, I actually went with a dual weapon fighting instead, mm-hmm. and multi-class in the fighter. Okay. So, basically, the entire, like, uh, train of thought behind the character was, F this one guy. <laughs> <laughs> can't, can't, once we get to the boss, he's wrecked, as long as I got my spell slots. Did you just hit and smite that guy five times? Yes, I did. He's dead. <laughs> so, uh, exactly. overall, this is a, a really good thing to just keep in mind as a paladin, especially for those of you that like to play the protective paladin um, and somebody that's defending people versus just being offensive, because it works really well as a defensive build, I think. Uh, paladins, you get spells, but ultimately, it's just smite fuel. Yep. <laughs> so there are, there are, there are players who be like, can you heal me? I'm all out of heals, but I've got smites to plenty. <laughs> Good. Oh, yes. yes. Oh, you need to be healed? Go talk to the bard of the cleric. Right. <laughs> so, smite me one more time. That is a playoff of Britain's Spirit. Yes, of course it is. It is great because that just made number two under the num- number one list of Whip and Nene. <laughs> I forgot about the Whip and Nene. Oh, that was a great So did too. I until just now. <laughs> I will never watch forget me that. whip and watch me Nene. Smite! <laughs> I've been smoting. Uh, all right. <laughs> So, uh, that'll do it for our player tip of the podcast. Don't, Don't be, be a dick. dick. Uh, and smite me one more time. God damn it. And then whip and watch me nanny. Ah! Don't make me smite I came you. back for this. <laughs> you started it. Uh, all right. So, before we uh, close out today, uh, I would like to take a moment to uh, 
do our weekly giveaway, the RPG Fat Loot Giveaway. Brandon, would you tell us about our wonderful prize this week? Triscavale Faro Lines, Trinkets and Curiosities. Mm. It wasn't supposed to do that. Triscavale Faro Line has some items uh, for every occasion, but not every problem. A collection <laughs> of 31 not-quite-cursed magical <laughs> items from the traveling gnome trickster, Triscavale Faro Line. That are sure to leave your players exasperated. <laughs> Those are the best kind of magic items. I absolutely had a blast reading through this. Oh my gosh, so Not much quite fun. Cursed. Who's our winner today? Uh winner is Ferric. Congratulations, Ferric. Uh, If you didn't win, no problem. Head on over to CritAcademy.com and subscribe to our newsletter to be entered to win. And on top of it, you'll get a free complimentary copy of our Challenge Accepted bestseller. If they subscribe? Yeah. To the newsletter. Yeah. Really? Yeah. You're welcome. That's pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah, it is pretty cool. Aren't we awesome? You're welcome. All right, so last week we had a special giveaway for people watching the stream. We had three winners to announce who will each receive a copy of Bard College of Percussion by Chad Lynch, which is awesome. So awesome. Uh, The winners are... Jared Muzingo. Muzingo. Muzingo from Facebook. Barbara Carter from YouTube. And Silverwolf X20A from Twitch. If you enjoy the show and want to support us, visit us at CritAcademy.com and follow us on social media and leave us a review. Five-star reviews are what we greatly appreciate, and we love you all for it. Yes. Even if you don't use iTunes, leave a review, please. Yes. It definitely helps us. Uh, I am your co-host, Brandon. I am your host, Justin. Mm. And I'm your other co-host, Ian. Thanks for listening. Keep your blades sharp and spells prepared, heroes. Oh, this is a song that just goes with the credits. It does nothing with movies, so we put it with the credits. Oh, this is a song that just goes with the credits. It does nothing with movies, so we put it with the credits. Yes! Holy shit, I'm in the credits! Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.